Hello, good afternoon, and welcome to CIO Leadership Live. I'm your host, Mary Fran Johnson, CEO of Mary Fran Johnson Media, and a contributing columnist on CIO.com, where I write about boardroom issues for technology leaders. Twice a month, we produce this video show and podcast to stream live to you on LinkedIn and onto IDG's Tech Talk channel on YouTube. Today's episode is sponsored by Cisco, the worldwide leader in technology that powers the internet. Cisco is out there inspiring new possibilities by reimagining your applications, securing your data, transforming your infrastructure, and empowering your teams for the future. Learn more about what they're up to at newsroom.cisco.com. And we welcome all of our viewers today to join in the conversation with questions of your own. We'll be watching for those on both LinkedIn and YouTube and doing our best to pass them along to today's guest, who I'm quite delighted to have with us here this afternoon. Mojgan Lefebvre is Executive Vice President and Chief Technology and Operations Officer for Travelers. As the only property and casualty insurer listed in the Dow 30, Travelers has 33 billion in annual revenues, 30,000 employees, and 13,500 independent agents and brokers working across the US, Canada, United Kingdom, and Ireland. Mojgan joined the company in 2018 in a unique leadership role that oversees all aspects of technology and data strategy, cybersecurity, insurance operations functions, and omni-channel customer engagement. Under her leadership, Travelers has been winning national innovation awards, including one of two of our own CIO 100 innovation awards last year in 2020 and again this year. Most recently, she was named to the new Forbes CIO Next list as one of the 50 most innovative technology leaders. Before she joined Travelers, Mojgan was the CIO for Liberty Mutual's Global Risk Solutions and a guest star here on CIO Leadership Live during our very first season. She's also held a number of senior business and technology leadership roles across financial, high-tech, and biomedical industries. Mojgan, welcome back. It's so good to see you again. Hi, Mary Fran. Wonderful to see you, and I wish I were with you in person. Yes, well, we, we are all getting to that soon, so the world is starting to open up again. And for a massive extrovert like myself, I'm so busy making lunch dates with people. I'll have to, I'll drive to Hartford. We can have lunch. <laughs> Let's start out, I like to start at that 30,000-foot view, talking about the impact of the last year and a half and all that we've been through in this pandemic year and the effect on travelers, customers, and also employees. Tell me how things have been going for all of you. So, you know, surprisingly, um, you know, I, it feels like, wow, we have done so much and, and we didn't miss a beat. And I, let me start by saying it all goes to the core of who we are as an organization and who we've been over the past 160 plus years. It's all about delivering the traveler's promise, making sure that we're taking care of our customers, our employees, our partners and our communities. And our reaction um, throughout the past year and a half has been nothing short of that. Yeah. I think as an industry in general, um, we decided that addressing the financial needs and the well-being of our customers and partners was key and top of the list. Mm 
Yeah. So creating lenient payment arrangements was a part of what we saw um, across many of the prominent players in this, including ourselves. Yes. Um, one of the benefits, of course, early on, as we all remember um, in the in the beginning, like 16 or so months ago, was the fact that, of course, because people were driving far less or there were far fewer people driving, that generally there were lower um, frequency of claims. And so as a result, this allowed mm -hmm. us provide even more um, or to lean in into that leniency. And so we yeah. uh, provided a 15% credits on auto premiums and we did that for three months last year. Mm -hmm. um, so that was on the kind of customer side. Of course, on the employee side, that was top of mind for us. And you know, I remember it was literally um, probably on the 12th or 13th of March that we decided we probably had no choice but to go fully remote and on March mm -hmm. 16th. We will fully remote. What went into that from the technology organization was an, a huge amount of effort, which of course there was a lot of preparation built into, but sure. enable that was just incredible and do it in a, in a way where it was secure and our people had the tools they needed to get to. And mm -hmm. so that was on the um, employee side. And then I would say, you know, last, but certainly not least our ability to show up digitally and virtually for our customers was probably key and core to um, how we've been able to um, operate as a business over the past year and a half. Well, and one of the, I think, most enjoyable business effects watching through this entire year and a half has been how much all of that digital transformation work or the digital journey work, it's called so many different things at different companies, all of the work that CTOs and CIOs like yourself have been doing over the last three to five years, how much that has paid off for everybody. And um, But when one of the questions I've been asking is around the focus of that approach to digital, the customer-facing technologies. Uh, I know your recent CIO 100 award certainly recognized the digital journey you've been you've been on and all of the people at Travelers have been on and how much of a difference that made. Tell us, tell me a little bit more about that, thinking about in the context of the last year and a half. So we had a very explicit strategy in place that of course ensured that we continue to perform as a company because our viability as a business is what affords us all um, to be around. And, and yet very much also, um, accepting the fact that that technology and, and many things around us are changing at an mm -hmm. unprecedented pace. And we need to ensure that we've, we have a transform agenda that's couched in three areas. Mm -hmm. Continuing to advance our risk expertise, which is at the core of what we do as an insurance um, organization. Right. Um, and, but then also ensure that we're creating great experiences, customer centricity, you know, really becoming a key part of what insurers, you know, in the past may not have been paying attention to, but understanding that companies like Amazon and, and Google and, and Netflix and others have mm -hmm. just filled in every consumer the expectation that they are at the core of everything and they want things to show up digitally to be seamless and to be easy for them. Yes. And then, of course, a drive toward productivity and efficiency. And I'd say technology and data are core to each of these three um, area. So the investments mm -hmm. that we had put in place were already occurring and to, to, to make sure that we're advancing here. What happened with the, um, you know, the everyone going home and not having the ability to physically show up was the adoption rate. So we weren't like some other 
um, industries where they hadn't made the investments, we had absolutely, and not only as an industry, as a company made those choices, but it was the adoption rate that we suddenly um, saw go through the roof. And so there are three areas that I'll hi highlight for you. Okay. In, one is in the world of claim. And, and of course, as you can imagine, that's where, you know, that's really probably the biggest interaction where the customer truly experiences their insurance company and how much they take care of them. And so during the pandemic, the use of our virtual claim handling tools went, went up in a huge way. Over 70% of our auto and property claims were using these tools. So it could be anything from uh, taking a photo and sending it in and um, our estimating capabilities that allowed us to, to do things virtually to uh, leveraging video and the video inspection process for um, mm -hmm. evaluating the interior of, of properties, something like a FaceTime-like um, app that uh, we could have our customers uh, work with our um, claim professionals and really do a real-time inspection. And so yeah. we just saw that number sh shoot up and we logged tenth of, tens of thousands of hours of that kind of mm -hmm. interaction. In the workers' comp um, side of things, similar thing again with the virtual visit capabilities yeah. uh, with our nurses and medical case managers. And I know you've had you know folks in on you know on the telemedicine side of things, and I'd say that certainly um, also was was something that we an experience that we started to leverage a lot between providing that um, virtual interaction between our claimants, customers, and third uh, third party medical providers. Mm -hmm. Are things that just shot up in a in a huge way, Mary, Mary Fran. Like numbers, like we we have forty times as much of those interactions in the telemedicine side as we had prior. Um, and things that we think are going to go back, they I think have forever um, changed that interaction. So that's on the claim side. Mm -hmm. um, on the service side, where you know we have a lot of people who just call in and ask some simple questions and so on. We had in 2020 um, launched our virtual assistant solution, which is an yes. AI-based AI solution that really um, attempts to answer a lot of simple questions that people may, may call in. So we want to make sure we're not really taking up the valuable time of our operations professionals. Mm -hmm. and, and you know, as the pandemic started, um, there was a huge number of questions that started coming in, and so you know, we were we hadn't necessarily picked up on that, and so that's where the machine learning suddenly started to see um, a trend in the data of the types of questions that were um, getting asked. And so we leveraged that opportunity to train our uh, model to, to see what some of those categories of questions were and, and the answers. And so mm -hmm. given the way AI works, the larger volume, our model became much more accurate. And so we just shot up, again, the, the, we, we saw the increase in the number of engagements and the correctness of, of the answers that were coming back from, yes. from uh, the, the machine in that case. I remember talking to you about that early on and it had gone up. It was uh, initially it started out about 50 or so percent were really accurate. And within a couple of weeks, you were up in the 80s and 90s in terms yeah. of the accuracy. And I love examples like that because they show how much benefit AI embedded in various data responses and in some of these digital capabilities, how much people probably don't even realize how much it's helping. Absolutely. And, and you know, it's, again, machine learning is all about learning, which is why also the quality of the data that goes in ensuring That's a great that, point. Mm -hmm. yeah, that you've got both um, a holistic view into the data and, and, you know, you've got the right type of 
um, data is, is, is important. And so again, the more volume you have, the more um, opportunity there is for, for yeah. Well, one of the things you said recently that has just stuck in my head, that you're not just using technology to build things. It's actually also about design thinking and taking this thoughtful approach and I and agile ways of working and that sort of thing. And I, I love that thought because it just expresses so much about the breadth of responsibilities in the way technology and operations organizations like yours are delivering for their businesses. Uh, talk about when you say that we don't just use technology to build things, but to, Tell me that story. What What do you mean when you say that? I mean, there, there, you know, there's so much temptation to just get enamored with the technology itself and just, yeah. uh, you know, think of just examples of things that you build. But we start everything hand in hand with our business, focusing on business outcomes right. and what what outcomes it is, the outcomes and the key results that that we want to achieve. Um, a couple of years ago, we drove toward setting up our teams as and and by by our teams i mean business our business teams and our technology professionals into product teams that yes. sit together in pods that have a very specific set of outcomes they are focused on which are very aligned to our business strategies across our three business segments and our claim function yeah and so starting from those business outcomes Defining how we would measure the success um, of those outcomes is, is how the, the groups start. And then building capabilities and solutions couched in technology and data that, that drive towards those outcomes, um, and really um, having that customer centricity perspective, but also understanding um, the value of building things iteratively from you know, starting with the outcome on what the customer wants, what the stakeholder that you're building for wants. Mm-hmm. Then building your, um, you know, building the capabilities from there, putting it in the hands of the user, getting the feedback, and that iterative approach is how your solution continues to get better. Yes. And that's really what's at the core of Agile. It's customer centricity, an iterative approach, and that continuous feedback loop. And yeah. then as you're as you're approaching these, building these solutions, you know, as what what you said, it's ensuring that it's desirable, which of course, if it's customer centric and you're getting that feedback that that happens all the time, that it's viable, that there's, you know, there's a business case around it that, you know, know, some things may not be affordable. And then of course it's feasible, it's technologically feasible. So so Mm -hmm. design thinking at the core of uh, what we do. So, so you know, elements and principles of agile and, and design thinking are really how engineering organizations work where mm-hmm. everything about the customer, the user at the center is, is what has gone into it. And the teams being small teams, you know, as Amazon calls them, two pizza teams, right? Two pizza teams. Right, I've heard that. Mm-hmm. Small teams that work together, sit together, are, are, are one team. They may come from different parts of the organization, yes. but they work together and those are the teams and they, you know, the teams spend the majority of the time together, whether physically or, of course, now over the past year and a half, virtually, mm-hmm. and, and and do the work. So those are some of the elements, Mary Friend, and it's a journey. We, oh, yes. we launched we launched this um, agile transformation in a big way with our business. I mean, our our technology teams had been operating in that way for a while, but by definition, because we didn't have the business people in it, we weren't cross functional, and so yeah. the core of 
of uh, what's at the heart of Agile wasn't necessarily uh, fully in it. And so bringing our business into it was really a big step. And incredibly enough, as we launched into that journey, we all went home. And so we can do a lot of it virtually. Well, and I was thinking of that. I remember in the early months of everyone working from home, uh, there was that question that arose about what's going to happen to all those agile ways of doing business. And I think in the in and nobody seemed to miss nobody I've talked to really missed a beat. And it turns out and it's such a great way, I think, for business people to learn more about technology to be able to speak in some of that language and for the technology experts to learn so much about what the business is doing. It's so practical and grounded. Um, and the fact that so many organizations like yours really didn't miss a beat is, uh, is I think, one of the um, unsung heroic miracles of the last year and a half. Um, related to that, I've, at first I was calling these return to work strategies, but I had to correct myself because nobody missed a beat on working. So returning to offices and buildings and the hybrid workplace, as uh, so before we got on this call, we were talking about how much that's being essentially flogged around in the media right now. Everybody's interested in this because, of course, it affects everybody. They want to know what's that, what's that company down the street doing, that sort of thing. So tell me about how you and Travelers and the leadership team there have been thinking about that hybrid workplace and your plans for the rest of 2021. Mm. Yeah, great, great question, Mary Fran. Look, I, I would say many companies... Um, we're able to leverage digital and technology and not miss a beat. And yet I'd say mm -hmm. we were probably pulling from the incredible deep relationships that we've built over the years. Yes. And there is no doubt in my mind that that human connection is absolutely core. And, and you're right, by the way, connecting mm -hmm. to the last question of Agile, one of the tenets of Agile was always co-location. I remember- In the room, right? Yeah. Absolutely, like being together, the ability to see each other, the ability to have conversations. And I think that is absolutely still true. And I'd say technology is not yet there to give you that full experience. Um, yeah. You know, it'll it'll probably come, but I don't know if I'll be able to <laughs> probably sooner than we think and, and later than many might claim. Um, again, so so hybrid therefore is at the core of, of what we're, we've decided as, a, as an organization. Of we of course wanted to make sure we leveraged a lot of the incredible learnings that we had over the last year and a half of where, as we talk about it, we learned how tools and virtual and, and technology capabilities can, can help you do many things where you don't necessarily need to be together. And yet yeah. over the last 160 years uh, before, we have learned how as an organization, everything around being together and those experiences that you create were, whether it's about running into each other at the you know proverbial water cooler or the cafeteria or actually uh planned get togethers where you get to do whiteboarding but you know much more mm -hmm. dynamically than than something that you know you can do of course and there are many tools out there that let you do that but but that real uh, ability to to have working sessions and so i think when it comes to innovation and transformational um efforts um, it'll be important to to bring that back. And so really asking everyone that, um, you know, giving them the option of having um, some remote work and which we did, you know, we didn't really have before, except in very small pockets, but having this as an option across the enterprise and ensuring also that we show up and that we are together and, and you know, we give the opportunity to the hundreds of employees that we've hired over the past year and a half, some of whom haven't even met the people that 
I was I was just thinking of that. You you hired several hundred new data and software engineers and and people that probably have they seen you face to face yet? Have you had a chance to meet any of them in person? Not yet. Not yet. Not yet. We're getting um, there. I, I was actually um, in our Hartford um, offices uh, the first couple of days this this week, and and so I walked around, and uh, you know we still we were actually we had started this renewal of our uh, buildings a while ago and we're just, you know, they're coming to an end and we've got some incredible spaces where speaking of the return to office, another core part is that, you know, we had started creating a lot of collaboration spaces. Obviously we're gonna be very um, uh, aware and and continue to be very aware of CDC guidelines and ensuring we keep of all of that in mind and, and, you know, and pivot as necessary, but we're mm -hmm. getting ready for uh, having many of our um, associates back together and, in, um, in, you know, in, in the spaces that we have, I'd say, you know, the other result of this um, past year and a half was the fact that we learned how important it is to have the ability to have, you know, hybrid meetings where the experience, both yeah. those in the rooms and those um, remote is as good um, and, and on equal footing. And I'd say that's a big change from what, what might have been in place in the past where it was all about who was in the room. Oh, for sure. I had a very interesting conversation with the CIO of the Washington Post in one of our other IDG events, and he was calling it the, de the democratization of these meetings where you have some people on the screens and other people there. And he was looking at various, some emerging technologies where everybody was essentially on a screen, even if they were at the table. And he was looking at a variety of things. And I thought how how in, interesting that is, because over the years, you know, everybody remembers that gray speaker phone in the middle of the table, and the people who were disadvantaged and had to call into the meeting could never quite hear, and they didn't know how to interrupt the meeting. There's, it's not, I think, just a technology solution. It's actually going to change the way some organizations think ahead about how we're going to run our meetings. I think that there's all kinds of interesting stuff around that coming up, and it's always more about the human behavior and the process yeah. before, before the technology because the technology is not going to solve the fact that if you set up a meeting you forgot to set up that virtual link that's right so so, so really some of the basic things to say you know as as we start to go back and as as we have started to go back ensuring every meeting both has a physical and and a virtual place uh, mm -hmm. ensuring that the quality of the sound through through the microphones is, a, is as good in the rooms as it is, um, you know, remotely. And it's not going to be easy because some of the technologies, again, by the way, still need a lot of work. And oh, yeah. as much of a hard work it was for our infrastructure and network teams to, to ensure that as we went, you know, we all went home, um, that yeah. that worked well. Um, but, you know, they've done a huge amount of work to ensure that we're ready for the return and, and yep. we're going to, you know, keep our, our um, eyes open and, and that I'm sure gonna learn and get better and better at it. You're gonna stay flexible. Nobody gets to kick back and say, okay, job done. You know, I mean, but, but that's always the way it is, isn't it? With digital, any kind of transformative digital work. It's like, it, it's all so iterative. Um, sometimes I get frustrated with it. Everybody says, oh, it's a journey. And I keep saying, do we ever get to the destination? Um, I, 
But I think with digital technologies, you really don't. It's just the destination ends up being paying attention to all the feedback that you're having now and then reacting to it, especially when you're thinking, you know, so much in a customer centric way as as you you've always done. I mean, even in your your previous career, I know we've talked in previous years and this has been a a lifelong uh, kind of interest of yours, that that customer and business focus. Um, let me move you. Let's pivot over to talking about some of your top business and technology initiatives, and I know they're very much intertwined with each other. As we head into the rest of this year, what kind of things are top of mind for you that we haven't already touched on, of course, and for the entire organization? So again, starting with the business strategies, of course, being first, because again, it, yep. it is about prioritization. Um, you, you can't keep up with every technology that's happening and just keep building things kind of like, you know, going back to that expression of we're not just building mm -hmm. things, but really prioritizing um, based on uh, business needs, mm -hmm. but also understanding that some things will depend on a set of platforms that will enable and will have to be built at the center. And so as you, as you start out with the business outcomes and with the experiences that, that you prioritize, ensuring that you're keeping uh, that in mind. And so this has enabled us to really group our efforts from a technology perspective in, in a few areas. And I'd say mm -hmm. first and foremost, it's talent, Mary Fran. So like yeah. our focus on talent, the fact that engineering and really deep technical understanding married with that business understanding is, is core to everything we do. But having those deep engineers have the ability to sit in those teams with our business people and work together and design and build and show and 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 pivot. Mm -hmm. So a focus on on um, talent, both recruiting as I've talked about before, but also continuing to upskill and reskill as needed. Mm -hmm. Whether it's you know reskilling from um, you know some some of some of the um, older settings of like some of the folks that we have working in mainframe environments on on newer skill sets to to um, moving you know, to the cloud and other things. Mm -hmm. um, to, to then, of course, as I said, continuing to ensure that everyone understands the agile ways of working and the ability to uh, prioritize, make decisions, create backlogs, and, and you know, put things into market. Yeah. And then I'd say, thirdly, um, there's a huge effort that we have around simplifying and modernizing. Um, as a company for whom information and data are at the core and systems and automation has been a key part, you know, we, we don't manufacture gadgets. We know everything we do based on information and um, from our risk expertise, to sure. experience we create. So we've got years of, of, of things that we have built. And so again, in a prioritized order, we have absolutely started to modernize a lot of things. And yeah. And, and that requires a, a lot of effort. And there are areas where we may have um, have had a lot of technical debt and probably continue to do so. And yeah. really working through, you know, how do we drive towards those common extensible um, set of capabilities built on microservices, really API enabled mm -hmm. to allow us to connect to these newer ecosystems where our customers expect us to show us, you know, it's not always about them coming to us as an insurance organization, but we right. need to be embedded in other experiences where mm -hmm. insurance is, becomes more and more part of some of the business that they do when they buy something, the ability to have, you know, the, the warranty or the insurance that goes with it, as I'm sure many of us have experienced, you know, when you buy your iPhone and 
things like that. So, so those are, um, you know, those are a few areas that we're very much focused on. And then, of course, continuing to absolutely ensure that we're advancing in areas of, of analytics and AI, because we mm -hmm. know that that's going to make a big difference from how we interact with our customers, you know, whether it's um, guiding our prof um, operations professionals on what, what are the next best set of uh, questions to ask or how to categorize uh, the customer who's calling in or ensure that they've got visibility at 360 view of the customer who's calling and all the interactions we yes. have with them. So these are all the um, areas where, where we really think our key areas we're focusing on. Excellent. Well, we had a question from our alert listeners, and this actually would loop us back a little bit to talk about um, the virtual meetings. And you had mentioned that, you know, there's more attention being paid to audio and that people will have to do things like include links. Um, is there, and you mentioned collaboration spaces. What are some of the uh, what are some of the key changes that you feel like you uh, as an organization are making to kind of fix that issue about people virtually not feeling like they're part of the the gang in the room? Um, I myself I've been waiting for that Star Trek technology where we can have 3D holographs. You're probably not investing in those. I'm not sure they actually exist yet, but <laughs> no, not in those. But you know, I mean, yeah. technologies which like one of them we're using, right? So yeah. from from um, leveraging Zoom to 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 video conf conferencing capabilities to where, you know, we we yesterday were in in meetings where within the room there were multiple um, screens that were set up, and some of them were projecting the the presentations or the demos that that we mm -hmm. were looking at, and others were projecting the screen similar to what, you know, we see on the laptop, but these were on screens around the room. And so, um, you know, as we as we talked um, to, to folks, both those in the room where it could could hear and participate and, and those on the on the screen. Um, and we have a whole team that's been working diligently over the past six months. Again, it's a cross functional team made up of some of our operations for folks, of course, our technology folks, uh, especially from the audiovisual side of of, um, of things, and mm -hmm. and then some of our business teams who really have been paying attention to everything from you know as we come back, what are the tools that we want to make sure people have still at their home when they're working mm -hmm. remotely, and how we provide um, similar sets of tools um, in 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 the offices as well, and that they're as standard as possible. We've got folks who are going around and testing things out, and then. Uh, we, we also have a set of guidelines that, that we've provided. And so to those setting up the meetings, like best practices um, and, and really making sure that we're, we're approaching this as an initiative and a project. And again, yes. we also want to make sure people are patient. They provide as much feedback. Mm -hmm. um, those are a few things we've done. Good. Those are one of, the, one of the first meetings, Mary friend, where we, we um, and I happened to actually be remote in that meeting and some of my colleagues were um, in person and, the sound quality, there was a lot of feedback. And so that was feedback that I provided to our audiovisual team. And so Good. they've gone around and tested all the mics and everything like that. So these mm -hmm. are continue to just get better. That's great. That's great. Well, and it's it, you've often spoken when we've talked in the past about the importance of fostering 
a strong learning and data culture. And I think we're all getting so much more familiar with all the different ways that data is part of our lives. Um, tell me more about that. I know that it, it kind of ties into questions about the hybrid office and the work culture and how things may have changed during the last year and a half. But if you've got a strong learning and data culture, you've got ways to deal with it. Um, so t tell me about some of your thoughts on that. I would say couched deeply in how we're investing in, in our people and our focus on talent is that is that making sure people have the right skill sets. And for a company for whom data is at the core of everything we do, and every person in their role um, is creating data, whether they're aware of it or not, was was something that we we focused on in a big way. And as we brought on our leader for, for data um, in the organization, uh, we decided that really ensuring that regardless of what your role is, whether you're part of the claim organization or the service mm -hmm. organization or an underwriter, really understanding the meaning of data and then having a map of how data can, from the moment you start a conversation with the customer to how that data travels through some of our systems and gets manipulated to how it comes back and plays a role in the next conversation you have with the customer. And that if they're, the quality of the data weren't as good of the, or if the data weren't as holistic as it needs to be, it can really get in the way or it won't have as much potential as it, it could have for that to become more and more clear. So yeah. our teams created these incredible, what we call data knowledge maps that uh, we have started as part of a um, series of, of trainings and learnings, some of which were in person and many of which have become online, where we have dr driven towards um, educating every single of our 30,000 employees in this. And now we're about a third mm -hmm. so through the organization. And the organization has truly embraced this, understanding that you know data is, again, the raw materials, which then turns into useful information and then the process and the changes that that information can go through to create insights, whether it's for the underwriter as they're doing the pricing insights about the customer so that they price that risk the right way, or as, um, as you know, claims come in, which ones are the right one based on insights that the claim professional has to allow that to go through straight through processing and, and you know, go straight through versus spending a lot more time on. Yeah. Um, but those are those are some of the things that in our data culture um, and and the learning culture we're, we're bringing to the forefront. And well, of course, there are other elements to the learning as well. Oh, of course. Well, and I, um, I believe one of the stories that I was working on recently, and I interviewed um, one of your communications and your and your data, one of your data leaders, and they shared with me one of those the map, and it was it was uh, not gamified, but it was a beautiful color. It was like little people that were. It was the first time I actually understood data flow throughout your whole organization, and that was only for just one application or something along those lines. And for some of us who would rather learn through cartoon illustrations, I thought that that was incredibly clever. Um, I'm sorry I don't have it with me. I could hold it up on screen and say, look how cute this is. Um, but the underlying importance of it was how well it communicated literally in a glance about all of the complex areas where data may land. Absolutely. And, and we really leveraged those and, and had them customized for each area 
yeah. by, by the area to, to, to make sure that it really was couched in specific use cases that made a lot of sense to the people going through it. Well, and the editor in me hears about things like that and wants to know if you're planning to publish a little graphic novel that you could include all of these in. There's an idea. <laughs> Let me see. I want to also let me ask if on your own CTO of this enormous organization, your list of strategic priorities, is there anything we haven't touched on yet that has kind of shifted higher up your list or is everything always in a state of motion? Uh, it's some sometimes that's, you know, in, in the early days of uh, the, the last March and April and May, we talked a lot about collaboration technologies and they were very important suddenly to everybody. But, you know, we're now that we're a year and a half into the remote working situations and all. Is there anything that you find higher on your list of strategic priorities these days? You know, I think so. So funny enough, it, it kind of leans back into the word culture, um, Mary friend, and, okay. and actually it's, it's really how we show up, um, each, every single individual, how they show up, how they act and how they behave. Mm -hmm. And everything we talked about, whether it's about uh, building things as an engineer in the new way, whether it's cloud-based, microservices-based or other, or thinking about things from the perspective of the customer and the user first, yeah. or thinking about data right up front before you even put um, you know, a word of code and so that data is not mm -hmm. a thought to, to you know, how you use data in every conversation you have. I say all of that is really about the mindset and the culture. And for a company that's been around for a long time, you can imagine that we have a strong culture um, and, mm -hmm. and it's an incredibly powerful one that has allowed us to be who we are. And yet we're also very focused on, you know, how do we continue to evolve and especially um, on the technology and operations side, there are a few elements of those cultures that we want to highlight because they're going to allow us to do a lot of what we want to do, whether it's innovation or, you know, tech modernization and getting rid of technical debt much more easily. Mm -hmm. And, and the way we've been talking about it. And so we have a group um, of employees and this, kind of got born as we started to discuss it among the employees themselves who've called themselves the culture club, a much, much point after the famous breakfast club for those of us who are old enough okay. to yes. know what it is. And, <laughs> and they're really focused on saying, you know, how do we make sure that customer centricity, mm -hmm. having empowered teams that are autonomous and yet aligned, so empowered teams, mm -hmm. The ability to prioritize because we have so much coming at us. Yes. And then finally, that learning culture we talked about, test and learn. So these four elements are, are a core part of who we are and how we operate and, and really moving from wanting to do everything to really prioritizing from yeah. where we are collaborative. And that's phenomenal, but sometimes we can do that at a fault. And so ensuring mm -hmm. that we give our teams the autonomy to make decisions, empowering them to mm -hmm. do and so those are some of the evolutions that we think are important. And I'd say that's, for me, that's top of mind because that's the foundation of, of a lot of what we do. And, you know, we, all, we, we have our strategy, mm -hmm. uh, but um, strategy alone won't, won't result in those business outcomes. Yeah. Really strategy plus culture. And so I'd say the culture piece is the one that's really top of mind. Well, and I don't know how many over the years, how many um, probably very highly paid consultants have told CIOs very firmly, they've said, well, you know, 
culture eats strategy for lunch, you know, in that warning tone that they would like to use that is basically like if your people are not with you on any given strategy, the strategy isn't going to matter a whole lot. And I think that we've seen that kind of live out in real action time uh, during the past year and a half. We have a question from our audience, and this is actually, and I'm, I'm so grateful that you're such a, tech, uh, um, a technology and business steeped CTO. Um, this, uh, this viewer would like you to talk about how you're leveraging Internet of Things or IoT in, in the underwriting and claims processing. And there was, previous to that, there was also a question about robotics, robotic process automation, the RPA. So there's some interest in how these very modern technologies are already being leveraged. So if there's anything you could tell us about that. Absolutely. So so from an RPA, so let me start with like the the basics of, of RPA, which, you know, RPA is, is funny because it's one of those things that's being around for a long time, right? It's, at the core of it, it's about a lot of batch processing that can happen from yeah. screen scraping to a lot of automation and so on. And through that, um, you know, done at scale, that has made a big difference. And I would say um, along the lines of our claim uh, processes, that's what we've leveraged quite a bit to, mm -hmm. um, to automate things that were repeatable processes where we, we could um, actually teach the, the robots to do that multiple times and we've got you know um, over 40 or so processes along the claim process that have leveraged this in a big way and mm -hmm. uh, and have ex extended that into other parts um, of, of our function and so i'd say in the continuum of ai rpa is probably kind of at the lower end of of where a lot of companies start um, and, yeah. um, you know if I, I remember tom davenport in a conversation i was having with him and you know he's usually um, touted as the father of AI. And he said, you know, if you want to start with AI, start with robotic process automation, RPA. And there are many players um, out there from, um, you know, automation anywhere to Blue Prism to other things that, that, mm -hmm. that you can start with. So that's that's on the RPA side, um, for sure. You've got to pay a lot of attention with RPA, though, to the continuum of processes. Because again, if oh, something, something upfront breaks, it can have impacts um, down the road. So those are yeah. some of the learnings that a lot of companies as, as they've implemented um, RPA have, mm -hmm. have done. Um, and then I think the, the other question was the internet of things. things IOT, and I, I tend to think of IOT as devices that are attached to things like sensors, but I know that IOT has a much broader impact. Mm -hmm. uh, absolutely, and and you know, that's the, the kind of, explosion of, of, of IoT and the number of sensors like we've all already seen, an explosion of IoT and as, as a result, data that emanates from these things, right? Whether it's yeah. our, our Apple Watch, right? From <laughs> there to um, to your phones, of course, and to, to many, many things, right? And so where we were already leveraging um, IoT, it's in, in our telematics program. And it's, um, it's you know, as we, um, you know, bring on our personal insurance customers so as a consumer buys an auto policy, they've got the option to, to sign up uh, with, um, with us to, so that through um, their phone, and it used to, by the way, be through a dongle, and now it's moved on so that our program is through the phone for the first 90, 90 days of their policy. Um, they can sign up to have their driving behavior be evaluated. And if if that behavior is 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 a positive one, and in many cases it is, um, they actually get discounts. So 
So of course it is an opt-in. And so that's just one example. And you know, as, as vehicles start to have a lot of those capabilities, and I'd say, I, I believe 30% or so of vehicles on the road um, in this day and age are connected actually, not as much of that co connectivity is being leveraged as directly. And again, that's gonna become more and more of where both in the underwriting process and then also in the claim process, there will be there will be more opportunities to to leverage it. You know, mm -hmm. imagine a day that you you and and I'm sure it's again it's probably farther off than tomorrow, but it's not that far off where you know it might be in a year. Yeah, get into your you get into your car and you know on your phone and you put in the destination and through through um, you know the integration of 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 Google Maps and many other things. Um, you know you. You're, you're, you not only get the destination you're going to, but you're told, hey, if you took that route, there's a lower chance of accidents. And then potentially your insurer can say, okay, if you don't take the route, then you're, you're opting in for, you know- uh, uh, More dangerous uh, driving. Like if something, if something happens. Yeah. Mm -hmm. and, and so, and I'd say even the advent of insurance on demand, pay as you go, whatever you call it, right? Things like um, that, that are by the way out there and, and that IoT can, can enable. Um, you know, are, are just some examples. Excellent, excellent. So, so I'm, I'm sitting here and I'm just being feeling so grateful for your uh, your Georgia Institute of Technology background and, and all of that, because you could actually, you could get down into the weeds with all of these technologies, which we will not do, but it's just, <laughs> <laughs> it's great to know that. Um, let me see, the, um, let's talk a little bit too about, and we may have covered most of the, the changes in the company culture that you're really looking forward to keeping once we get more comfortable in the hybrid work culture, the sort of things, the way people's priorities kind of shuffled over the past year again with a with the kind of focus that you always have on customers first and employees and the collaboration that's kind of in your DNA. Um, what are the, uh, do you make a list to yourself of things we're definitely going to keep this, this, and this? Absolutely, absolutely. Mm -hmm. There are there are four things that as an organization, we we know we want to keep and have been core to our success. And that's really, it's the, it's the core of our culture. And by the way, I just mm -hmm. want to emphasize the fact that the core of our culture and who we are um, as a travelers and mm -hmm. as a place, we refer to travelers as a place, every single employee knows that word and we want to keep. So if you ask any travelers employee, what defines you, they'll say collaboration. Yeah. And we want to keep that. And that's something that, um, has been core to our success. Mm -hmm. But as I said, we want to make sure while we are collaborative, we also have the ability to make decisions quickly enough and and ensure yes. that people, you know, imp we are empowering the right people to make the right decision. So mm -hmm. collab it's about collaboration. Mm -hmm. It's about long-term thinking. So despite being a Dow 30 public company, mm -hmm. yes. we're long-term thinkers. We're not just focused on the next quarter because that, I mean, that wouldn't be how we've been so successful. And, you know, as any company who's been around for 160 years have weathered at least a couple of financial crises. Yes. So it's so long-term thinking, but then I would say putting the place first as our um, CEO and chairman, Alan Schnitzer says, and, and really thinking about travelers and the place. And, and that's where the, our technology and operations common as possible, unique as necessary goes. It's like thinking enterprise-wide and putting the place per, first. And then, and then of course, last, but certainly not least being vested in everybody else's success. So yeah. I would say core to every single thing I said, is that mm -hmm. it's always about the bigger thing that we're about, and it's not about 
just me as an individual. It's about us. It's about yep. the place. It's about our customers, our partners, and our communities. Well, and the place used to refer, as you said, to specific places, to the office in Minneapolis or to the, the big gathering, the huge buildings in Hartford. But now the place is more all of travelers, isn't it? It's just there's a whole almost a, I don't know what that is. It's more like a worldview of the place as and you know, I, I would say the place has always been a larger, grander thing. It was about mm -hmm. everything. I'd say now um, the world has evolved where that's become maybe maybe the reality and that virtual the place kind of mm -hmm. are getting closer because now we can through our tools make make the physical and the virtual come together. And it is about the grander travelers and the entirety mm -hmm. of of the place and and even you know, mm -hmm. the larger part of our ecosystems, it is about our customers and, and everything that we do. So that's how yes. I think about it. There. Yeah. Well, and I think that's a particularly expansive and lovely way to think about it. Um, I've got a question from our alert listeners about, and I think you'll love this one because it's about change management. And the question is, what is the biggest challenge when you're trying to change a culture? And, you know, you're just trying to tweak it a little bit in one direction or another. And there's an example such as implementing new tools like technology tools for virtual calls and so forth. How do you use change management principles to make it work, to have it really kind of land with people? Yeah, that's such an intuitive question and such, an, such a fantastic question, because I would say, the best execution um, will fail if that change management isn't there and if people aren't coming with you. And what is core to every change management is communication, upfront um, transparency, and involving the people who are part of that change and ensuring that mm -hmm. they, they own it and are part of it. So again, in everything, and that's where you, I would say the power of bringing uh, different parts of your business along with your deep technologists together so that, that together they're driving the change, it becomes important. And in everything we do, even in our implementation of Teams, for example, as a, as a mm -hmm. collaborative tool, our, our communications organization is right there with our teams. And they are, you know, the product owners, the team leaders, like the, the, the group that sits with our engineers who are, who are doing that and, and really defining um, the, you know, everything from the governance of, of, of the teams, of how many teams do we create, who's got the ability to have teams, so that it doesn't become just a mess of stuff, right? That there's, <laughs> yeah. that there, there truly is is um, an architecture to it, a business architecture to it. So, so I'd say really communication, uh, planning, ensuring you've got involvement, and, and probably, again, another core principle of Agile being dedicated resources so that you don't have you know people doing 30 things and and mm -hmm. they're spending a little bit of time and so having those dedicated teams focused on uh, one or two key things that they're working on just becomes key um yes. well and one of the things that i haven't asked you about yet and i would feel so remiss if i didn't bring it up is to talk a little bit about all the work that you have done not just to travelers but i know over your career with diversity and inclusion and equity and bringing more uh, women more people of color into your technology organizations i know you have a number probably too many to mention going on at travelers but i think it would be it'd be great to land 
expand on that a little bit and talk about the kind of work that you have done because you're you stand out in my mind often as one of those CTOs that has you know it's not just a fashion with you this is something you've been working on a lot over the years well th thanks Mary friend look as a as a woman in a field such as technology where uh, while you know the the first computers were women right like we've seen a little <laughs> <laughs> hidden, hidden figures, no more. <laughs> yeah, and so on. And yet, you know, as as um, the field of computing became a far far more attractive, uh, somehow our gender, um, you know, started to lose ground. And so, um, you know, I studied computer science as you, as you said at Georgia Tech, and so was was keenly aware of that. And then, you know, on top of it, as an immigrant, and 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 really coming in, and so that that element of ensuring that uh, we we have as many women women of color and, and, you know, people who are disadvantaged in, in everything we, we do. I know that that's, that's been core to what I believe in. And I think actually it makes for better business because yeah. much like your, your models, your AI models learn from data. Like if, if your data is wrong or if your data is biased, um, decisions mm -hmm. are biased. It's the same for how we operate as humans. If you've got a team, all of whom are of the same mindset and have grown up the same way, making decisions, their decisions will be very biased and not necessarily all in the right way. And mm -hmm. you know, over 50% of the world is made up of women. So, so I, that, that's like a passion of mine. And I think um, yeah. you know, the number of women in the fields of STEM is not as high. And so I've been very, very focused in ensuring that um, you know, we do something about that starting very early on. And so my involvement with uh, Girls Who Code, uh, Reshma Khojani's, um, organization and, and now with Tarika Barrett, Barrett as the CEO of that organization, as Reshma has, you know, now become the chairman. Um, mm -hmm. That's been something that's been a passion of mine. I, I've been a mentor to to girls who code for many years, and then um, last year we actually brought girls to code and and one of their um, uh, summer immersions um, into Travelers. Uh, a seven week kind of physical um, internship became a two week. Um, virtual one, but but um, my understanding is that actually what, you know, that has given Girls Who Code the ability to bring girls from all walks of life and are much more nationally together and have even more diverse groups that can work together and they're going to continue around that. So that's, you know, that's one of the the uh, many things many. that we're doing mm -hmm. um, at Travelers among, you know, among some other things where, um, a, you know, a couple of years ago, I started our Empower Plus organization, which is um, really the, the group of um, technology and operations women and their allies, the plus sign, mm -hmm. um, a symbol of, of, of allies and, and men and others really uh, promoting the cause for women and, and, and their careers and professions, both internally at Travelers and in our communities where we're very prominent um, am among women and, and women yes. of color. So those are just yes. a couple of examples, Mary Fran. Well, and I remember too, I don't know whether everyone had, with everyone staying home over the last year, you had a, a Women Who Travel, something in, it was another one of the groups that you were essentially the executive leader on within the company. So, so that's actually our She Travels, which- She which, Travels, that's Yeah, right. which is external. And that's actually at, um, you know, with, with our CEO and um, oh, our, uh, a few of our other leaders that across the board were, um, we're really creating a travelers is is leading the way in defining um, you know the the insurance industry f as a much more inclusive place for women 
and and working hand in hand with our agents and brokers and it's uh, something that um, you know a, a couple of our other leaders, our chief marketing officer and uh, Joan Woodward, who leads our Wednesday with Woodwards and among the other things, and our Travelers um, Institute, um, she leads. Um, so they are that's the program that they lead. But every one of our executives is a full supporter of that. And actually, Empower Plus is you know it it's structured to fall underneath that umbrella, um, so to speak. And and so that's the connection there. Excellent. Excellent. Well, my closing question for you, and this is about um, what this unexpected and very disruptive time over the last year and a half, what has it taught you as a leader that you didn't already know? And you've got you've got a lot of experience as a leader already, but are there things that even surprised you that you learned over this past year? Look, I I, I tell you, it, it didn't surprise me that I learned because I know there was so much that I will have to learn. And, and you know, I would say any leader that doesn't know that they still have a long way to go to learn and they will always continue to learn mm-hmm. might be missing something. So it didn't surprise me that there was a lot that I could learn. I would say one of the things that it highlighted for me was the power of listening mm-hmm. uh, and and really how much that drives empathy. And, and really, as you listen, taking that feedback and putting it into action. Yes. And, um, and so that's probably the one, um, I would say, thing that I, I learned and, and really drove myself to practice more and more. And so mm-hmm. in the beginning, as, as we all went home, um, I you know, put in place these um, calls that we would invite all of the employees to, and, and um, I would I would share some information, but I would also then provide the ability and call them, ask me anything. And, and yes. so employees had the opportunity to ask questions. And so mm-hmm. really listening to them mm-hmm. when I didn't know the answer. And I can tell you, there are many things I didn't know the answer to. I would very openly say it. And it was incredible that just with, you know, the, the power of just listening and making sure people knew that they had been heard and then doing my best to go and, and you know, get the answers where there were answers. Um, made made a difference. And so I'd say that's probably one of the biggest learnings, Mary Fran, mm-hmm. and I will do my best to continue to yeah. uh, have that be part of how I operate as a leader. Well, I remember um, hearing from you a while ago about how your CEO and other members of the senior management team were pretty much all demonstrating that, doing a lot of those AMA gatherings, ask me anything. <laughs> yeah, so, so I, I would say our CEO exemplifies you know, like what, truly like what any leader could do. He, he was actually just yet again, um, another year in a row, top 100 Glassdoor CEO, um, you know, so ranked by all of our employees. And um, there we, um, you know, there were weekly communications that he would yeah, yeah personally, it was obvious that he had personally penned and he's like one of the most incredible communicators and, and truly, um, being as open as possible to every single one of our 30,000 employees. And, and um, you know, the, the reaction from the employees was just incredible. And so that was a practice that for months, every, every week on a Friday, the yeah. letter from Alan would come out. So these are just some of the powerful things that we saw demonstrated and all of us learned from. That's great. That's great. Thank you so much for joining me today. I know how busy you are. I know all the people that want a chunk of your time. And it was really, it was wonderful having you here uh, today as a guest on CIO Leadership Live. Thank you so much, Vojgan. 
Mary Fran, thank you. And uh, it was my privilege and thanks for the opportunity um, to talk about travelers and, so, and our great people and the great work that they do. Awesome. If you joined us late today, you can watch the full episode later today right here on LinkedIn, but also on CIO.com and on YouTube's IDG Tech Talk channel. CIO Leadership Live is also available and will be available by tomorrow as an audio podcast wherever you get your podcasts. I hope you enjoyed today's conversation with Mojgan Lefebvre, the Chief Technology and Operations Officer at Travelers as much as I did, and that you'll come back for our next episode of Leadership Live on Wednesday, July 14th, again at noon Eastern, when I'll be joined by CIO Nicole Natowski, who is with the National Resident Matching Program, which takes care of all those graduating medical doctors across the U.S. and finds them great residency programs. Thanks again to Cisco for supporting this episode, and do take a moment to, 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 while you're on YouTube, to subscribe to our IDG Tech Talk channel, where you can find all of our previous shows. I keep talking them up as something everybody can binge, but I don't know if that's actually happening. Anyway, stay well and safe out in the world, and we will see you here again next time. This podcast is produced by IDG Communications Incorporated.